dismantling systemic oppression, strengthening local economies, fostering equity and inclusion, cultivating communities for social good. We are motivated to leave the world a more just and compassionate place than we found it. A lofty goal? Maybe. An unreachable goal? Absolutely not. This is the Impact Out Loud podcast, powered by Prospera Partners. Now here are your hosts. Welcome to Impact Out Loud. I'm Vicki Pazabon and Eileen Everett is here with me and our very special guest Martin Sorge is here. Say hi everybody. I want to hear your voices before we dig in. Hi and a big welcome to Martin. Hi, thanks Eileen. Thanks Vicki. Uh, yeah, excited to be here. Cool. Well, Martin is a very special guest this week, and I just can't wait to get into it with you, Martin. <laughs> I, I'm actually kind of giddy, like I'm sitting on my hands. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm like, I'm fangirling at the same time as like, I know you as a professional <laughs> colleague, but mm -hmm. I'm also a bit of a fangirl right now. So the big reveal, Martin Sorge is a colleague of mine, we've met a long, long time ago when I was in the mm -hmm. um, Business Alliance for Local Living Economies Fellowship Program, and you were working for Bali at the mm -hmm. time, and you were helping to coordinate and facilitate our fellowship program. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's what you were yep. doing. Yep. I yep. did a whole lot of things for them, but that was one of my duties. Yes, I remember that. And it was great. And you were definitely a part of our fellowship team. I remember that well, like we all really <laughs> embraced you as like Martin is one of us. Because you were also, I think you were doing your master's, weren't you and working on economic development work? Yep, when I started and then I finished like right before we, right after we met, I finished. Okay, okay, cool. So yeah, you were you felt like one of our peers, you didn't feel like just the coordinator or facilitator, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So um, so that was a long time ago, back in 2000, I don't know, 2010, yeah. 11, yeah. 12, something like that. <laughs> 10 plus years ago. Yes. And so you can talk to us a little bit about what you've been doing since then. We'll get, we'll get to that. But the big, big reveal is that Martin is the winner of <laughs> The Great American Baking Show, which is the Yay. American version of The Great British Bake Off, right? Yep. Yes, exactly. I got it all right. Yay. So we're going to talk about all of that, right? Like I'm already how... <laughs> getting hungry just hearing all of this and talking about it. I loved watching the show. I loved cheering you on from my couch. I loved every minute of it. And Thank I can't you. wait to get into all of this. So we're going to get into why you made a huge leap into baking and where that's taken you. <laughs> and... um what that experience was like. So give us a bit of your background, Martin. Like I, I kind of gave everyone a little bit and I've been talking too much because I'm giddy. And this is what happens when I get giddy is I talk too much. So I'm going to turn <laughs> it over to you. Sure. I'll give you a little bit of my background. Feel free to ask for more clarifying bits. But so I'm originally from Indiana. Um, right before I met you, Vicki, I was getting my master's degree in public policy and economic development. And I've worked in that field in various roles from running a small nonprofit organization to working for the city of Chicago. And really throughout that time, you know, I've always been a big foodie and I was kind of raised to enjoy good food, not in a pretentious way, but just like, oh, this is quality. And especially, you know, my family was big on supporting the local businesses in our community where, 
you know, finding the best little local place to get pizza versus going to a big chain. Or my parents would even go to the local butcher shop when that was kind of a dying thing. Um, And so I was always a big foodie. And so I always loved to cook and go to the farmer's market. And maybe about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now, um, I had always cooked. I was known for the person who like cooked for my friends in college and grad school. But I started to get into baking because I actually wasn't very good at it um, because I didn't really like to measure things or be precise. (laughs) It's how I feel about baking and we can get into that. (laughs) So I finally just said, you know, I'm let me, you know, I've always, there are a few things I could bake, you know, I could make some basic like chocolate chip cookies or banana bread or brownies or, you know, apple crisp was one of the things I made all the time, but I wanted to get serious. So I started actually by making bread because it's really just flour water, yeast, salt. So it's really cheap to start making. And after I had a few successes, it really snowballed. And I had just, I just wanted to experiment with things and it became kind of my creative outlet. You know, I worked for nonprofit organizations or, you know, it was doing really good mission driven work, but there were always a million people involved and it was very hard. You never felt like you were done. And it was really nice to go home and do something where like, this is just me. I can do whatever I want and I can do it from start to finish. And I'm like, I am done. I made a thing. And it's, you know, and then you can eat it or share it with friends, which is really the best part. So it was kind of that creative outlet, but also something that I was like, I have complete control over this creative process. I don't need a committee to decide what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> I, well, I understand. I think we understand that well, Eileen. Don't we, we do. And I, I love, yeah, I love, Martin, how you already said, like, you had an end point then. Like, you yes. had a product that you finished. But in some ways, you also don't have an end point, too, right? Because you bake something, and then you're going to bake it again, probably, in a different form. Are you going to take yeah. the learnings and move it forward in a different way? Yeah. And you, it's really, it's really tactile. You're away from a screen. Yes, there's a lot of dishes, but it's like you're on your feet. So it's a fairly active hobby. I think some people don't realize like it's physical. Um, and so that's always fun, especially after a day spent, you know, in front of the computer or something like that. And then it gives you a chance to experiment and try new things and explore new cultures. So I mean, that's how I feel about food and baking. And then I just got really nerdy about it and wanted to try every technique under the sun. I'm like, oh, I haven't made that type of cake or this type of buttercream or that type of thing that looks really hard. So I would, you know, have sometimes weekend projects where I'm thought, I'm going to make croissants this weekend, you know, in the middle of a cold Chicago winter where like, I'm not going to go anywhere. So I would do those sort of silly projects and then uh, it paid off, so to speak, in the end. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It paid off. And so I'm super curious because I actually remember watching your your journey on Instagram before <laughs> all of this happened, right? Where yeah. you were like experimenting with stuff and you were posting about it. And it was super fun to watch. And uh, one of our common friends, Ellen Shepard, mm-hmm. shout out to Ellen Shepard, Community Allies. <laughs> um uh, she was she's like, have you seen what Martin's been baking lately? <laughs> she would text us and be like, check out Martin's Instagram. It looks so good. What is he doing? What's he up to? So we all had this sneaking suspicion that there was something more going on behind the scenes. And then there was this, you know, hey, everybody, I'm on. Check me out on Roku TV. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> 
Yeah, so, and it's funny because I was never a huge social media person, especially Instagram, but I started taking photos of things I baked, and I was like, well, I guess this is what I post on here now. And that was starting many years ago before, you know, being on TV was even like a sparkle in my eye. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that was like, I was like, this is the only thing I remember to take photos of, because I forget to take photos of like the concert I was at or the cool thing I saw <laughs> while walking around. Yeah. Well, if any of you have been listening to our podcast, you know that at the end of our first season, we talked about, you know, what is wellness and what is real rest when we Mm. do the hard work that we all do. And so I really appreciate that you talked about baking as a form of, you know, a a more tactile activity to do Mm -hmm. to kind of change your mindset from Mm -hmm. your end of your day or whatever or Mm -hmm. stressful project i cook i love cooking Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and i love cooking for other people and baking is not my forte (laughs) i kind of got into the pandemic thing where i was making like brownies from a box and they always failed miserably they tasted fine (laughs) but they looked terrible (laughs) it was like a giant thing blob of brownie mush and i'm gluten-free right i have celiac so there's that whole other layer Mm, of uh trying to deal with weird ingredients and things that i don't understand so i was like i'm gonna let the pros make me good baked things (laughs) i'm not gonna worry about it but we also talked about um in one episode eileen we talked about reality tv shows that we love (laughs) As an outlet for, yeah. you know, like stress reduction and, right. and how do we not just address burnout, but have the conditions in our lives that would mm-hmm. lead to not even having burnout to begin with. So, right. yeah, we were discussing our, our reality TV indulgences um, <laughs> also. Yeah. And, yes. and ideally, you know, many of us who watch the, the baking shows, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, um, consume baked goods while watching. So it's, oh, it's a full yeah. sensory experience, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what was fun for me is that I actually don't watch the baking shows. I watch the cooking competitions a mm-hmm. lot and mm-hmm. have for many, many years mm-hmm. and learned so much from that, right? Because I love to cook. Baking for me has always been, it's too sciencey. It's too much measurement. It's too precise. It's a all lot those of math. <laughs> a lot of math. I don't like math. I just, I want to be more creative. And I'm sure there's ways to do that as a baker, but I haven't figured that out. And again, I'm working with gluten-free stuff, right? So it's not easy on my end. But I also, I don't have a big sweet tooth like that. So then I'm mm, like, well, what uh-huh. am I going to do with this dozen cookies that are <laughs> sitting there? <laughs> Make some friends. <laughs> right? Make friends. And then they're like, oh, it's gluten-free? Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It can still be delicious. I know. So this is what I loved about what you were making on the show. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about the show in particular and how I want to know about your journey. Like, give it to me. I want all the goods on your journey (laughs) through that show. Yeah, I'll give you what I can can say. So uh, several years ago, I think, you know, I discovered I was a big fan of the Great British Baking Show for a long time, even before it was on Netflix. And a friend mentioned that, oh, I think there's an American version um, that used to be on ABC. And they sent me the audition information and I filled out this really long application and, you know, didn't hear anything. And then the next year, you know, they posted, hey, we're, you know, auditioning again. So I put my name in and I made it pretty far through the audition process. Wow. Um, And then fast forward, I think I auditioned one more time and then... 
um, again, made it pretty far. And so they, you know, they encourage you, you know, apply again. And then the final time they said, oh, you made it, you're cast on the show. So, you know, I didn't know if I was good enough or, you know, I'm, I'm not a big like decorator. I like to make things that are pretty simple and not too elaborate. Um, but when I got cast on the show, I thought of this as a really fun challenge to say, hey, I'm going to make things that are way outside my comfort zone. So, and we filmed in 2022, we filmed uh, six episodes and, you know, had to develop however many 12 original recipes that, you know, range from kind of simple signature challenges to incredible, incredibly complex, like a cookie showstopper that has to be a foot tall with it's a scene from your home state. So you have to really think creatively and decorate and also become a little bit of an engineer for a few of these challenges. So yeah, so I filmed, we filmed the show um, in the UK where they film um, the Great British Baking Show. Um, but with, there were nine of us American contestants. We had two American hosts, Ellie Kemper and Zach Cherry. And then the two judges who judged the Great British Baking Show, Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith. So it was, you know, fun to film in the UK. Um, and then, you know, I met eight other amazing bakers and friends. We just Skyped um, two nights ago. So we're actually still really good friends, awesome. which is probably the best thing that I got out of it. <laughs> I love that. So what was it like in the tent? Like, what what was that atmosphere like? It's a lot like for those of you who've watched the British or the Great American Baking Shows, it is pretty similar. Like it is a fun, positive, happy vibe. Um, yours, you know, there's a lot more people in the tent than you see on TV because there's, you know, cameramen and sound guys and producers and hosts and things. But it really is what you see. Um, you know, it's stressful because you really want to get things done, but you have to really focus. You're... Um, in a new kitchen where I think a lot of us who like to cook and cook a lot, like we know where everything is in our kitchen. You can reach for a spatula in a drawer that's crammed full of stuff, but you know right. exactly where you <laughs> stick that one little spatula. Um, but when you're in a new spot, you know, you're like, it's not a reflex. So you have to go, okay, where is that thing that I need? Um, or, okay, where did that ingredient go? Or, okay, I actually have to walk over here to the fridge. And normally the fridge is on my left at home. And this is a new oven. So you're really adapting to a new scenario. Plus talking about what you're doing for the cameras, which is something I really liked. Because at home, my husband sometimes like, you don't need to tell me about why you're doing this particular thing. Because I don't really care. <laughs> um, so it was fun to talk about what you're making. And all of my bakes had like a personal story behind them. So I could talk about that. And then, you know, usually when you're cooking or baking, you're at home by yourself, but you're also in this room with like eight other nerds about this craft that you love. So <laughs> it's fun both before and after filming, but also during filming, kind of talking with folks or just like joking around with your neighbor um, or like popping over to help if somebody needs help, because it's a really collaborative show. It's not cutthroat. It's not you know, where you're trying to one-up somebody or sabotage somebody, it's more likely that somebody's going to come over and lend a hand if they if they have the time um, or even ask, hey, does anybody need help? I have a free moment. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more of like the why you think that is, right? Because it is a competition, yet as a viewer, you see that collaborative nature and you Mm -hmm. see people focused on their own individual work. But then if somebody needs like an extra ingredient or something, like you all are always helping each other out. Why do you think that is? Like, what are the conditions for that kind of atmosphere that allow people to actually work more collaboratively? And still be in competition with one another. Yeah. So I think a big thing is that's really just kind of the ethos of the show is really that it's like a friendly competition and everybody's really trying to do their best. Um, And they cast people who have, you know, are a little competitive because they want to enter a competition, but they're like the kindest, you know, smartest, you know, people that you could find. And so that's like, they kick, they couldn't help but help somebody. Um, And then another big thing is there's no real substantial prize. You get a cake plate and some pride. So there's no no quarter million (laughs) dollar prize or a kitchen makeover. So you really aren't competing for anything. So Uh, if, you know, uh the second place person's like, hey, I, you know, made it really far and yeah, you may have gotten a cake plate, but I got to do this whole thing too. So it's, <laughs> I think that's a big part of it is, is that there's not really a prize. And that's also, I'm not necessarily the most competitive person. I went into it thinking, I want to just enjoy this wild situation, do my best show, you know, what I love to do. And hopefully that takes me far. But if not, I was like, if I go home first, then, you know, that's what happens. Yeah, I, I was going to... um I'm glad Eileen asked that question because I was going to tie it to some of the things that we do in our work around shared leadership Mm, and mm -hmm. the idea of knowing when to step up, knowing when to step aside, step back, and step away, which is Mm -hmm. um, a a great facilitation exercise that Eileen has always been um, instrumental in leading our participants through. And it's really about knowing okay, I'm in this, I'm the lead, I know what's going on, I can do this, knowing when to ask for help, like, hey, you know, there were moments when I remember you were like, does anyone have blah, 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 I need this or whatever, right? (laughs) Or someone stepping in or being able to, you know, they could step to the side at some point. So I just love that collaborative nature. Mm -hmm. And um, I love also that you kind of approached it from like, the systems change lens of like the work that you've done in the past with economic Mm -hmm. development, you know, we're always looking at the big system Mm -hmm. of where we are in that system. And you, let's just say that the tent, right? That's the big system that you're (laughs) in, right? And it is a, a friendly, gentle competition, but you seemed so relaxed in some of those moments of like, you were just enjoying it. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you just put on a brave yeah, face. Were I don't you, know. Were you relaxed? Or? I mean, I really was enjoying yeah. it. Relaxed is not the word. Okay. Well, enjoying think, it. Yeah. But that's good, though, because you were really enjoying being there and doing what you were doing. And that definitely came through. Oh, right? thank and you. And that's, that's a big piece of it. And mm-hmm. I loved, loved, loved the stories behind each piece that you made, mm-hmm. each each cookie, mm-hmm. everything that you did, you put heart, soul, and passion and your personality into these things. So <laughs> well, I want to talk about the showstopper piece because that is one that really stuck Ooh. with me. <laughs> Can you talk about it? Yeah. Was there a particular one or? 
That was the the super tall one, right? That was the representative of your home state. That was the the scene from the beach. Yes, yeah. So that was the first week in Cookie Week. I made a scene from um, it's a beach up here on the north side of Chicago called. It's technically called Kathy Osterman Beach, but we all call it Hollywood Beach. So it's a it's a big. It's not necessarily a huge icon of Chicago, like the Sears Tower or the Art Institute or Buckingham Fountain, but it's a it's a beach where a lot of Chicago's like LGBTQ community hangs out. Um, a lot of families too, like all different folks. Um, I used to be able to walk there from where I lived, and it's just if you're from Chicago, you know it has like kind of a rainbow painted sort of pier light and. I thought it would be fun to do just because it's a place I love. I could figure out how to construct this wild thing out of graham crackers and sugar cookies. <laughs> and it, it's a fun thing I could play with. I figured out, okay, I can make little people laying on towels and swimming in the water. And I even put in like a little mermaid because I thought that'd be <laughs> funny. And so it's something I could embellish. So I was really, you know, I was really excited to do that, show my little hometown pride. Yeah. And it was just, I was like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I loved that piece so much. I just, I loved the rainbow, the rainbow pier <laughs> tower. I, the whole thing was just so great. And Eileen, I know you have a great story that I would love for you to share about your coming out cake. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just to share a quick, quick story connecting many dots here of one of the things, um, and I think about this story all the time, is I think as somebody who's part of L the LGBTQ plus community and how hard it is to come out and how you have to come out over and over and over again in mm -hmm. your life. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it's been thousands of times at this mm -hmm. point. I don't know for you, Martin. Um, but back in the late 2000s where I was working, I came out to everybody that I was working with. And the next day, one of my colleagues brought in a cake that was, uh, it came to be known as the coming out bunt cake. <laughs> so it was a rainbow bunt cake that's actually Aww. featured in a, in a book called um, Bunt Cake Bliss by Susanna Ooh. Short. So shout out to Susanna. Um, and the whole premise of it really was, what if we actually changed the narrative of coming out to be something mm. really positive and not mm -hmm. so scary? Mm -hmm. And so, like, what if you came out, like, you got a cake? Like, mm. congrats, like, here's, this is something to yeah. celebrate. And what a great way to celebrate than with a cake. And in that case, a, a bund cake. Um, so it's been a tradition in, in my home and with my family that we have paid that forward in many different ways of, like, here's now your, I'm not good at, baking bundt cakes, but uh, there's been various coming <laughs> mm -hmm. out baked goods and various forms with rainbows and all different things. So I know when Vicky was sharing about seeing kind of the rainbow um, mm -hmm. demonstrated from from the Hollywood Beach uh, representation that you did from Chicago, mm -hmm. definitely I lit up with this idea mm -hmm. of like, oh, you know, how do we within our community keep viewing it as how do we celebrate mm -hmm. one another? And, and to me, baked goods is like a great way that we can celebrate with each I other. I love that idea of making, you know, celebrating it with the cake versus it being yeah. like more of a scary like, here's moment. Here's a cake. Here's yeah. your coming out cake rather than like, oh my gosh, it's so scary. And is this person not going to like, are yeah. we going to have a different relationship now or whatnot? I'm yeah. obsessed with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, something that we could all do. I mean, it yeah. doesn't just have to be for coming out. I mean, imagine just if we really, again, use baked goods. I think, I think about it as celebrating oh, and yeah. connecting and like, how do we just do that more mm -hmm. on a regular basis with all of mm -hmm. us? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and changing the narrative. I love the idea of baking as a form of resistance, right? Like, mm, or cooking mm-hmm. as a form of resistance. Oh, yeah. And, and pure love. And we do it out of pure love and joy and sharing that with other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm curious, and maybe we can cover this in our next episode. Um, you know, one thing that you said early on, Martin, was really talking about it about the experience as a full sensory experience. And mm-hmm. and that's really stuck with me from a few minutes ago when you said that, because I think as a consumer of baked goods, it's a sensory experience and seeing it and smelling it and tasting it. But I loved how you talked about like you're on your feet and moving and feeling mm-hmm. all of these things. Mm-hmm. And I'd love maybe in our next episode for us to touch upon, we talk a lot about embodied work and embodiment, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to things like social justice um, and thinking about our systems thinking work. So I'm just, I, I see a lot of potential connections for what you said um, and want to hear more about how it connects to the work that you do too. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to talk about strategy too, because that was a big <laughs> part of what you were doing in that tent, I know. Yes, yes. Um, and you yep. wrote a great article recently for Food and Wine about mm, your experience. Mm-hmm, so I mm-hmm. want to talk about more about, about that too. So we're going to save that for the next episode with Martin. But before we go, Martin, we have this little segment at the end of each podcast where we ask, what was your aha moment or your WTF moment? Of the week, of the project, of the work. So I'm going to say, what was your aha moment or what the fuck moment (laughs) for your great American baking show journey? Um, ooh, what was my aha moment? I was kind of, you know, I doubted myself a lot before, you know, as I was preparing for the show and before I did it. And then I was actually saw a trophy I won when I was a little kid. I was not a very good swimmer. And, but I kept doing it. Like I wasn't that good, but I just kept doing it. And twice I won a trophy for best mental attitude. And I was like, you know what? As long as I have a good attitude, I can do this. If I don't win, I don't care. I didn't care when I was a kid. So I was just like, I'm just going to try to have a good attitude and do my best. And that was my like aha moment for the journey. Love it. Love it. Eileen, do you have an aha moment or a what the fuck moment? Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm just sitting with what Just from our baking conversation. I think think what I, I'm going to take away an aha, which is really that idea what I heard maybe in an undertone of what you just said, Martin, too, is like the practice piece. Mm -hmm. Like so much of social Mm -hmm. media in particular shows us like, oh, here's the perfection of what shows up. But like, especially something like baking, Mm -hmm. you can't get good at it unless Mm -hmm. you just bake Mm -hmm. like many things over and over and over again and are used to all the changing conditions. Like Mm -hmm. even what you said of like the spatula not being in the place that you expect it to be. So I think that idea of just the importance of practice. Mm -hmm. Nice. How about you, Vicki? Well, my aha moment is really a reflection back to Martin, because what you just explained about your childhood swimming experience is such a reflection of who you are, because I have felt, I remember the (laughs) first day I ever met you, it was at a Boston conference, and I think I was doing some facilitation of our network leaders group, there were like 80 some people in the room or something, and it was super stressful and chaotic, and your mental attitude <laughs> was so refreshing because you were like, yep, I got it. I'm on it. You were upbeat. You never showed any stress or chaos. We never let them see you sweat. And <laughs> I have always really respected that in you, Martin, and I just want to reflect that back to you. So Thank you. 
I want to give you a trophy right now for your <laughs> mental attitude and for winning the Great American Baking Show. So we're going to come back with Martin for episode two. So stick around and hear more about Martin's journey and uh, all the good things with baked goods. We'll be right back. No, we won't be right back. We'll see you next time on <laughs> Impact Out Loud. Thank you for listening to the Impact Out Loud podcast, the podcast that empowers bold impact for good, powered by Prospera Partners. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Impact Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts and follow Prospera Partners on your favorite social media. If you are inspired to make community-based solutions and systems change, Prospera Partners offers workshops and programs that are open to all. For more information, visit prosperapartners.org. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well and do good.